while you're be seated, while you're being seated, sorry about that. Boy, this is going to be a long morning. <laughs> Tell someone next to you how much you appreciate that they're sitting next to you. You know, it'd be a real bummer if that person hadn't shown up today and that chair was empty. So I am just, I'm just really appreciative that you all came. Hallelujah. God is good. Well, we've had a very, very busy weekend. At least I have. The women's conference was absolutely a complete and utter success and uh, thoroughly enjoyed getting to know other gals from other churches coming together, uh, unifying and, and all of that. So that's really fun. And then if that wasn't enough, I came home, napped as fast as I could, and uh, then peeled myself up off the carpet. And we went to the fair to the Alan Jackson concert. Any Alan Jackson fans in the house? You know, I was really shocked at how many fans there were there. The place was packed. I don't know a whole lot about him. I've never really listened to his music, but I do know a few things. He, he drives an itty-bitty truck, and he has an itty-bitty car, and an itty-bitty dog, and an itty-bitty cat. Do you, guys, do you know what I'm talking about? And an itty-bitty wife, and an itty-bitty house. You know that song? That's all I know about him now. But he, it's itty-bitty. He's not itty-bitty, though. He's really tall. So um, but I, that was supposed to be a joke. You're all supposed to be laughing with me, right? I worked on that one all morning. Kids, was that good? Okay, it was a little bitty good. <laughs> All right, if you don't know his song, go home and Google it and you'll know why. And then you'll laugh with me. Okay, I'm done being funny. Help me. Hallelujah. Yeah, we had a great time. And uh, I've prepared, I, had, I prepared a bunch of sermons at the beginning of the, the week. And as I kept thinking about them, I'd get them mixed up. So if you feel like I took a left turn and I'm on another track, that's probably why I just jumped over to those other ones from the weekend. But hallelujah, the Lord's going to keep me focused. Say focus with me. Okay, here we go. I have a story to read to you this morning, and I will open up with this. There once was a young man, a prince in his own right. He was very smart and talented, and his future was bright, and his life was good and full of happiness and comfort and plenty. Until one day an invading army appeared on the horizon, and within a few short days, all he had known was destroyed, and he found himself being carried off away in chains. After a few weeks of grueling travel and the newly conscripted slaves and the accompanying army finally arrived home, the slaves were sold, and the army split the profits. The young man was taken into the king's household, and when he arrived, he learned that the king was away, expected to to return any day. The young man at once took in his new surroundings. He began to observe the other slaves, calculating whose friendship would pay off and whose wasn't worth his time. He quickly decided what roles would afford the most comfort and ease and what roles were the least desirable. He set at once to plan his route to his best possible situation as a slave. The young man had observed slaves throughout his childhood. He knew that his real fate lay in the hands of his master, the king. He had seen many slaves beat, tortured, and filled with misery at the whims of their masters. He had to watch his step and be smart from his very first interaction with this king. Suddenly there was a loud knock at the front gate and a great hustle to make way for the king. The gate swung open and in rode the king on a horse and followed by his entourage. The man, the young man quickly stepped behind a column to better observe the keeper of his future. The king was tall. He was a handsome man of great strength, both physical and mental, quite impressive. 
He dismounted and his royal robes flashed with dignity and he spoke of, and they spoke of great importance and position. He called for assistance as he looked around the palace, nodding his head in approval. As he removed his outer robes, his stern face broke into a green grin. You could feel the tension of the slaves drop ever so slightly. The king, visibly glad to be home, greeted his household and family. He called for a great meal to be served immediately. All the slaves began to scurry, preparing the tables and setting the places, and the young man quickly fulfilled his duties, all the while keeping his eye on the king. The king, though powerful and fearful and mighty, seemed almost kind. And this set the young man on his guard even more. Kings weren't kind. They ruled with an iron fist. They never, ever talked to slaves, much less cared about their comfort. Kings were to be served with the utmost lavish care because they were king. What happened next totally baffled the young man. As the meal was now ready, the young man watched as the king took off his colorful royal garments and took up a belt and tied his inner tunic in such a manner that he began to look more like the servants around him than the king. The king then called out to all in the room and commanded them to sit and recline at his table. As he, the king, came out with platters of food and flasks of drink, and he alone served the household. It was fast-paced. It was hard work. This one wanted more of that, and that one more of the other. The king's clothes quickly became messy and his hair a bit disheveled. The young man joined the household staff at the table, and as the king came to him, the king gave him the choicest of meats. The young man, stunned at the reversal of roles, looked into the king's eyes and saw truth for the first time. Pathway to purpose. We're speaking all month on the pathway to purpose. What is the pathway to purpose? The underlying theme of the pathway to purpose is that the kingdom of God is only as strong as the church is in that community. And the church in that community is only as strong as the health of the Christians that attend that that church. And our goal, Dwayne and I, as we have been called to this church, we started and began this walk, this journey of building a strong church. We pray and pray every day that the Lord would add people to us. And as you come in to be with us, it is our job as pastors to raise you up into the most healthy of Christians possible. That's why you come. You come to worship God. You come to serve him. You come to be good Christians. And then you have to sit and listen to us while we tell you how to become more and more healthy. And this is a lifelong process. You're going to sit under many, many sermons. And my cry for you is that you never become complacent. That you never end becoming more and more healthy and more and more like God. Ever. So we at New Horizon here, we put together this pathway to purpose, and it's something that's going to be underlying, it's going to be kind of an under, under the radar message on a constant basis for you guys, this is how we're going to base everything that we do to make sure that we fulfill all of these things, because if we're doing this, then we're doing well, amen? 
So we started off a couple weeks ago with starting point, and uh, that's our, our basic, what is salvation, what is communion, what is baptism, what is the Holy Spirit, what is a, a life of a believer look like, and that's that. And we have those booklets available for you. We gave those out, and if you want to grab one, they're all over the place for you to, to grab and, and to read and to kind of dig into. They're, they're also really set up that if you happen to lead someone to Christ... You can actually meet together with them and go through this booklet, and you will have discipled them. Everybody say, disciple. Amen. I want you to have that tool. Have, have, if you have never, ever, ever discipled a, a person in your life, I want you to begin to pray to God to give you a disciple. That's going to be a huge step for some of us. Pray to the Lord to give you a disciple so that you can raise them up. It will fire you up. It will change your world. The lights kind of went down. I can't see my notes very good. Can we give me a little bit more? (laughs) It's kind of bad when that happens. Um, Anyway, starting point. But I know you needed that. The next one that we talked about last week was both commit and connect. We talked about the importance of becoming a part of a church body. And we also talked about the importance of connecting to that church body. We talked about, I don't know if you remember if you were here last week or not, but uh, last week we talked about when Jesus began his ministry, the very starting part of his ministry, he, he went out and he began to gather his disciples. Do you remember that part of the story? And uh, he would go out, he went out a few walks by the lake, and he called a few brother sets that were fishermen. Hey, James and John, follow, put down your nets and follow me. And they did. Isn't that weird? If you were just like mowing your lawn and somebody came along and said, follow me, you know, stop your motor and follow me. That's basically what they did. They dropped their nets and they followed him. And he called others along the way, Matthew, a tax collector, and, and different ones, Luke, a doctor, and, and all these different ones. And then they were called together, and they got together. And can you imagine what that first meeting was like? We kind of talked about that. We're kind of playing with the story a little bit. I'm kind of stretching it maybe. But really, that was the very first small group ever. You know, I mean, they got, got together. They didn't know each other. So, hello, my name is, you know, and what do you do for? I'm a fisherman. Really? I'm a tax collector. Ew. You know, <laughs> I know likey you. You know, you had to kind of figure it out. And they had to get along and they had to do all sorts of things to become a cohesive group that eventually turned the world upside down. Think about it. You never know what relationships are going to bring you into. Never. So connect is very, very important. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have all sorts of things. And today I'm going to talk about serve. I know they're kind of out of order. You thought I was going to go to grow, didn't you? Okay, you weren't watching. Uh, But yeah, I'm not. I'm going to serve and then we'll do grow later. But um, this week as I was studying, I'm just, I was constantly amazed at how important the concept of serving was to Jesus and is to Jesus. His life was a life of service, and his words, his teaching was constantly regarding serving. So what does serve mean? Serve comes from the word servant, and servant and slave are, are fairly synonymous. Or, yeah, synonymous. And uh, so serve means to ser- be a servant or to be a slave. Now, if you're a slave or you're, you're a servant, you are legally owned by another person. And your will is to be completely and utterly submitted to your master. 
And the word serve connotates that there is a master and that there is a master-slave relationship going on. But when I think of master and slave, I don't have happy thoughts. In fact, my brain kind of goes to whips and chains and starvation and ships coming over from Africa with hundreds of people stuffed in holes that were absolutely inhumanely treated. My mind goes to very, very bad places. How about yours? You know, the word slave just is not a happy thought in my world. It just isn't. But ever since sin entered into the world, every single human relationship has been turned upside down, including the slave-master relationship. Every single relationship, your marriage, is upside down if left to sin. Your family is upside down if left to sin. Your work relationships will quickly go upside down if left in a sinful situation. Sin has come in and it has messed with every single relationship on the planet. Satan wants every relationship broken, skewed, upside down, and unhealthy. He's filled relationships with striving. He's filled relationships with self-protection. He's filled the relationship and relationships with others in jockeying for position. He fills uh, relationships with the, the feeling that the other is the opposition and I have to win. There's this competitive feeling a lot of times between relationships. Let's open to Mark 10 and get into the word. Mark 10, if you have your Bibles with you, turn them on. Many of yours turn on. You have permission to be on your phone if you're in your Bible right now. Amen. Mark 10, verse 35, and hopefully those will be up on the screens. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us what we ask. Now, I'm going to pause right here, and I want you to see that what I'm talking about, these upside-down relationships, was very, very present in the small group, in Jesus' small group. It was not pretty. Master, we want you to do something for us. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at the right hand and the other of us at your left in your glory. Now, that kind of sounds like jockeying for position. Um, Master, I want to sit on your right and left, okay? Reserve me those seats, right? I put dibs on them, dibs them. Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, he answered, they answered. And Jesus said to them, okay, you will drink of the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, so the other guys heard what these guys, James and John, had done. They what? Can you just hear the indignation in their voice? When the other ten heard about this, they came indignant. They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers in the of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus took his disciples by the nap of the neck and found them right smack dab in the middle of red-handed, good old-fashioned human nasties. I want to be first. No, I want to. I want to send you up. Okay, listen, you are the left and I'm on the right and we'll forget about all the other guys, right? And the other guys found out, you know, now now he's got an insurrection going on in his small group. How many of you ever had a, a small group Bible study where there was an insurrection? Hallelujah. Woo. So Jesus takes them by the nap of the neck, practically, you know, although I'm sure that's how I would have done it. So I'm kind of implying that. So, but maybe Jesus didn't, he has a lot more love than I do. Uh, But he said to them, yes, it's true. He says to them, listen, guys, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers, lord it over them. That's how the world does it. That's how the world works. You got to be tops. And when you're tops, you make sure everybody knows. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But it's not to be so with you. Everybody say, not so with me. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Oh, servant. That chain, that whip, that nastiness. I don't get to do what I want to do. I have to do what somebody else wants to do. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man, even the Messiah, even Jesus, even the Son of God, the part, part of the Godhead who came to this earth, did not come to be served, but came to serve and give his life. Jesus is absolutely redefining everything. He's redefining what leadership is. He's redefining for these people who God is. They've grown up under the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods who lorded it over you all the time. And you looked up and you worried about the gods and you had to do everything just right so they wouldn't be mean to you. And Jesus is telling you that I, the son of man, the Messiah, have come not for you to serve me, but for me to serve you. And this is how you're to live. He redefined God to them. He redefined what interpersonal relationships were supposed to look like. So was that story that I told at the beginning a real story or a true uh, fiction? Turn to Luke 12 and let's see. Luke 12, verse 35. Jesus is talking to all the people. A big gathering a big crowd, and he tells them, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and he knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he, the master, the king, will then dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table And will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them ready. 
That story came directly from that chunk of, of the Bible. I read it this week, and I was floored. Because I'm that young man. Jesus is my master. You are my fellow servants. And my sin-stayed nature is infected with a self-centeredness that I cannot seem to shake. And my disease of self-preservation and self-promotion is so rampant inside of me that I would be as that young man. If I were thrown into that situation, I would be looking for the ones to make friends with because those are the ones that are going to promote me. And I would look, and if you weren't going to help me, I wouldn't, you know? That's just so innate inside of me. And I would fear the king. I would fear him. I would fear his reprisal because I know what kings are like. I would look for the easy and the comfy. But when that young man was told to sit and that king served him the choicest of meats, he realized what truth is for the first time. Truth is that our master is not how humanity has constructed a master. Our master is love. Our master is not one that would lord it over us, but our master is one that would seat us down and take care of us. Galatians 2.20 now says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me completely. Jesus was known to say, I do nothing that I don't hear my father do. I only do the things that I see my father do. I only say the words I hear my father say. Jesus was a complete, submitted slave, shall we say, or servant to the father. He refused to be anything different than when he saw and observed in heaven. He submitted himself. He became so one with God the Father that you don't even know there's a difference. And now Paul is saying, I have died. Me, Paul, I have crucified myself. And now I, I don't live any longer, but Christ lives in me. That is a complete and utter submission to who Christ is. And that's how we are supposed to live now. We are supposed to be dead. This self-preservation piece of us is supposed to be dead. This worrying about being something, this worrying about jockeying for position, this worrying about everything is supposed to be dead in us. And Christ is to live in us. And he has shown us very plainly how he lives. He serves. He serves. Our master is completely different than we can even imagine. John 13, very quickly, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Now let me pause in the story for just a moment. The disciples had gone ahead of Jesus and gone into Jerusalem and prepared the room for the Passover, as many, 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 many other households all throughout Jerusalem. But in their room, in Jesus' room, there was one thing missing. Everything was just right. There was one thing missing. Every other household across Jerusalem had a slave. And that slave did many things that night for that group. And one of the things that slave would do in every household across Jerusalem was to wash all their feet. Their feet were dirty from walking, and it was the proper right thing to do. He washed their feet, and then they would, he would um, a lot of times put uh, essential oils and fragrance on their feet. That's what the slave would do. But in their room, in their gathering, there was no slave. And it seems to me by what I hear that there was never even a miss of a beat. I'm sure the, the disciples were, they were thinking about other things and they were busy and da 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 and they weren't used to having to wash each other's feet, let alone their own. And all of a sudden, what's Jesus doing? He's picking up the towel. He's tying around his waist. He's getting out the bowl. And I'm sure after a little bit, somebody's like, what is he doing? And he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. He took the place of the slave in the household. Jesus replied, uh, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh no, you're the Lord. You're the master. You're God. You're not going to wash my feet. It ain't right. Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Jesus was so committed to serving. And he's teaching them that if I can't serve you, if you will not allow me to serve, watch me, watch me, people. This is very, very important. He's telling him him there. If you don't watch me and become like me, you have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So he's like, hey, little good, baptize me. Jesus answered, person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. Jesus washed the feet of Judas that night. When he finished washing their feet, he put back on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You should also wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This next little phrase, he says, I tell you the truth. Some of your Bibles might say verily, verily. Some of your Bibles might say, listen to me. Jesus said these phrases when he was going to make a very, very, very valid, important point that he didn't want them to miss. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. No messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Many times in our own thinking, in our own thought process, I pray right now the Holy Spirit would drop on this house. Many times in our own relationships, in our own marriages, in our families, in our relationships with others, our place here at church, many times we do not take up the towel, wrap it around our waist, and wash the feet of those around us because there are no slaves anymore in our households. There are no more. It's up to us. And many times, many times, we, though we think it or not, place ourselves in a place higher than our master. We think our thoughts are more important than the master. We say, you know, I'm this and I'm that. I really, you know, in fact, I remember, I remember a a lady and I, you know, I just bless her heart that she's a wonderful little example. You'll never know who she is. She came here the very, very, very first of our starting our church and she was a beautiful singer. She was just, she could sing, you know, the angels in, but I needed someone to help in the nursery. She had a little child. I said, would you be willing to help in the nursery? Oh, no, I don't do that. I sing. Well, Jesus doesn't wash feet. He's God. See, she, was, she had a mindset. She had, she had, she had, something was a little crooked in her head that made her think that she was better than Jesus because, you know, we get this thinking that if you're something, then you're not, you shouldn't do something else. But what if it's really, really needed? What if someone, what, Jesus stopped being God for a second, doing God things, you know, like getting crucified. He, he pushed a pause button and said, let me wash your feet because it needs to be done. There is no slave here. I am your slave. I hope this is blowing your brain. I hope this is rearranging your thought process because this doesn't just affect the church, it affects your marriage. Someone has to stop the craziness and love the other person. Someone in your marriage has to stop the circle of negativity and stop and do maybe what the other person kind of needs. Well, they don't deserve it. When they do this, then I'll do that. No, that's not what Jesus said. Every single one of our relationships is twisted with sin. And this morning, God wants to untwist these relationships. And he wants to teach us. He wants to show us his very heart and who he is. And he wants to let you know that he is a servant. Completely united. What's the word? Yielded to the will of the Father. 
You no longer live. Christ lives in you. Your will today, people, your will today needs to be completely and 100% surrendered to what Jesus does and did. You can't live for yourself. You're dead. James, Paul, John, all the guys that wrote the New Testament, they were so blown away with this fact that they started many, many, many of their epistles. They had, their minds had been renewed and they got it. And many of their, their epistles, many of the, the books of the Bible start with I, John, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does bondservant mean? A bondservant is a, a servant, a slave, who were, was enslaved legally. They were placed in a, a, a slave relationships, and they had to do it. But the law in Israel was that after a certain number of years, when you fulfilled that, you were set free. But if that person... If that person decided that they loved their master, if that person decided that that life and that house was the house they wanted to live in, they could go to their master and say, Master, I want your will in my life. I'm not going to live for me. Make me a bondservant. So that man would take that bondservant to the, the, the doorpost of their front door, the tree that's usually wood made out of a tree. They put their ear on that right there, and he would drive a little thing right through their ear with an awl. And from that moment, like a nail driving into a cross. From that moment forward, that person was now legally bound to that person, but not because it's against their will, it's because they yielded to him. They wanted to be. So all of these incredible Mighty men of God who wrote the Bible, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I've lived my life. It's better serving you. I choose. I choose. Drive the nail through my ear. And I will for the rest of my life serve you. Service. Relationships has got to be different. It's not about you anymore. It's about them. The love of God inside of us. We've got to lay aside our importance. We have to lay aside our authorities and serve. We've got to lay us, take off our tie on our three-piece piece suit and our cute dress and kick the heels off. Pull on our sweats and serve. This community needs to be served. Every soul in Fife needs their feet washed. Every soul in your city needs their feet washed. And I implore this body 
to be so yielded to Christ that we would not do anything that we don't see the Father doing, but that we would stink and do everything we see the Father doing. And that is loving, serving, going, and doing. Amen? So I hope that you understand that this whole sermon, though it speaks of serving here at church, but it also speaks of you serving in your home, in your life, kind of changing your way you look at people, the way you approach. Do you feel like you've done that? We can have an altar call right now if you want. (laughs) Make it real. Because for some of us, that's going to be a hard transition. I'm raising my hand. Anybody else? Is that going to be a hard transition? One more. Two. Anybody else? It's going to be a hard transition. Come on. Hallelujah. Let's do it. Let's do it. We have all sorts of opportunities here at the church. Because this church, this isn't the only place to serve. Come on, please. Know that. But this is a great place to serve. Because this place is filled with a lot of vision. And as this vision continues to get fulfilled and filled in and the building pieces get put on the building, this building will begin to function. This place will function even better. So I want to encourage you. These are great places to serve. I want to dismiss right now all of the department leads to go to your spot. And today what we have done is we have set up a situation where um, we're going to make it really easy for you to get involved, really easy for you to serve. Maybe you've come here for years and years and years and you served in a place and now you're not serving anymore. You're going to notice that about half the church is getting up because half of the church runs the church. (laughs) This place is a church of volunteers. This is a volunteer-run organization. This is not a hired organization. And some of you guys are already really involved, and I love it. But if you're not involved, this is your opportunity. You might not sign up for something that's your gag, you know, not gag, gig, sorry, your gig. (laughs) It's not going well for me. I need to be done here. Like it wasn't that girl's gig to, to take care of children, but we needed it done. When she said no, guess who did it? I said, okay, I'll go do it, right? Not to toot my horn, but I want you to see that the need is there. So what we have over here is Kingdom Kids. Carla, wave your hand. Sarah, if you want to help rock babies.